Gracious God, we pray that you would come to us now, that you would take your word and by your spirit you would apply it to our hearts and minds, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly, that you will enable us to hope more strongly as we seek to live for you. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Are you expecting to receive gifts this Christmas? Do you hope that you will receive gifts? Perhaps a better way of saying it is, what would give you hope, what gives you hope, that you will receive presents? If your track record is anything like mine, around this time of the year, for the last however many years, you have received presents. So the past points to the future. Our hope of the future is linked to the past. Hope, as we saw, is anticipation of a better future, a better future than the present. Our hope is waiting with tension and expectation. As we wait, as we anticipate, we hope. Advent is about waiting and hoping and anticipating. In our studies of Isaiah in recent weeks, we've seen that God's people had slipped into a desperate situation where there seems no way out. And a lot of it has been their own doing. Isaiah himself, in this situation, says it is going from bad to worse. First the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, who do more than threaten God's people. They leave Jerusalem with its walls destroyed and its temple desecrated. And God's people still won't listen to God's prophet. Their hearts are callous. Where will they look for hope? They've already looked at other gods who have failed. Will they look to their own strength for hope? Will they look to other empires for hope? Will they try to change the circumstances? Maybe a move, a new job, more money. In the midst of all of this, Isaiah says, I wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I put my trust in him. Or, I will hope in the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. Hopeful people in the Bible often cannot see circumstances changing. Nonetheless, they choose to hope in God. Psalm 39. But now, Lord, what do I look for? I put my hope in you. In the Bible, hope is in a person. Hope is in a person. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, 
and with him is full redemption. No one was capable of changing Israel's circumstances way back when they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They needed God to act. They need God to make an exit, to make a way, the exodus. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes, his death and resurrection provide that new exodus, a greater exodus, a greater freedom from slavery to sin and death, which we know from our studies earlier in 1 Peter this year, that Peter describes this as producing a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Hope is anticipation of a better future. A better future with God as our focus. Jesus opens up for us, people who live beyond the cross, a a, a grander hope. And as we saw in the video, Paul describes it as the whole of creation being liberated. So we look back to the risen Jesus to enable us to look forward in hope to a new heavens and a new earth, which we talked about last week. This is a courageous hope. It's a call for a courageous hope because some will ridicule. It is a brave hope waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be saved from evil and death. It is big, bold, radical and impossible for anyone except God, of course. It is waiting for God to act in a way that is as surprising as rising a crucified man from the dead. We hope in what some think is impossible. Our hope which is our waiting, needs to be active because living hope is fueled by living faith. Our hope and our waiting is not an invitation to idleness but an invitation to action. We see this in Hebrews 11 and other scriptures. In Hebrews 11, faith and hope are linked. In this chapter, the writer focuses on what the people did, what Noah did, what Abraham did, what Jacob did, what they did by God's grace to move towards God's promise, towards the promised future. And so we see in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we do not see. Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we do not see. Hope is expressed through faith and enhanced by faith. You won't find the Greek word for hope in Mark's Gospel at all. It's not there at all. But in Mark chapter 5, particularly in that section that we've seen read, we see hope 
expressed through and enhanced by faith. Jairus is hoping that his little girl won't die. He comes to Jesus hoping that Jesus has power over death, over sickness. That Jesus can provide a better future for his family. He has faith in Jesus. He believes that Jesus perhaps can do what no one else can do. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So that she will be healed. He has a confidence in Jesus. And so they move along the road. There's a large crowd in the narrow streets, hustling and bustling and bumping their way along. And there's a woman in the crowd as well. She's an unnamed woman. She's not important. She's just a woman. She's not important like Jairus, the religious leader. This woman has a bleeding disorder as well. She is more than sick. Bleeding makes her ritually unclean. She shouldn't be there. She can't go to the temple. She can't offer a sacrifice. She is unclean. She can't be forgiven unless she is healed. And this has been prolonged 12 years, many doctors, many denarii, and she is getting worse. She has no more resources. She has spent herself and all that she has. Yet like the hopefuls in the Old Testament, when things are going from bad to worse, she chooses to hope. She is hoping that Jesus can provide a better future, that he has power over sickness. She had heard about Jesus and hope had risen within her. This hope was about to be expressed by faith. What amazing faith. If I just touch his clothes, do you see the words again? I will be healed. If I just touch, I will be healed. As a ritually unclean person, she's not expecting Jesus to place his hands on her. If I get close enough for a touch, then my hope will be fulfilled. She has faith that Jesus can do what no one else can do. Some call this crazy. She reaches out and she touches and immediately, immediately her bleeding stops and she is freed from her suffering, her uncleanness, her isolation. Jesus declares, your faith has healed you. It can equally be translated, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus has come to do away with both sickness and suffering. He has come to save Meanwhile, while this is all taking place, Jairus has paused with the crowd. And 
you can feel within him the tension increasing. He's waiting. He's waiting. This is an unnecessary interruption. Some woman in the crowd touching Jesus and we have to wait. And then, to make it worse, some people come along from his household and bluntly tell him, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. Is that the end of hope? Has his hope been shattered? Do these words snap the tension and mean that hope is lost? Is he now hopeless? No, 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 no. To the contrary, his hope gets bigger. He has seen what Jesus has done and his hope grows. His hope is now that Jesus can raise his daughter to life. He has a bigger hope. A huge hope spurred on by faith. Some call this crazy. Overhearing that the girl is dead, Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he does just that. He believes. Faith is making him sure of what he hopes for and is about to give him proof of what he cannot see. Faith is making him sure of what he hopes for and is about to give him proof of what he cannot see. Jesus has laughed at, he's scoffed at as he goes into the room. They knew the girl was dead. They knew what death looked like. They had no doubt about it. The girl was dead. He is deluded. He is crazy. She is dead. Jesus takes her by the hand. He doesn't need to touch her, but he did. He speaks. He speaks. And immediately, again, immediately, she stands up. She can't stay dead. She can't possibly stay dead because the giver of life has spoken to her. The giver of life has taken her hand and his words, his breath, mean that she can't stay dead. Hope and faith are bound together. Hope without faith, without action, will weaken and fade. Jesus has come to do away with sickness, with suffering and with death. He has come to save. I suspect that there was great joy, great peace, great love and great hope in that house that day and in the following days. And all of this, all of this, all these things that we think about at Advent, hope, peace, joy and love, gifts of grace to this family. Gifts of grace 
to us. Hope was in the air that first Christmas. Things seemed to be going from bad to worse. But among some, there was hope. God's people are now under the oppressed, oppressive Roman regime. God seemed to be silent. The servant that Isaiah had spoken of 700 years before hadn't yet arrived. Yes, on the surface, it looked as though things were going from bad to worse. Yet the truly hopeful continued to do what the faithful had done in the past and put their hope in God. For example, Zechariah. Do you remember Zechariah? After regaining his ability to be able to speak following the birth of his son, John the Baptist, he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. This is very confident, so confident it's preemptive. The expectation is such that he declares that God has come, even though Jesus hasn't been born yet. Moreover, he has redeemed them, even though Jesus hasn't been born and the cross and the empty tomb are unheard of at this stage. Perhaps looking back at the the prophets and the promises, Zechariah's hope was propelled forward was propelled a long way forward. We, of course, live in different circumstances, yet similar circumstances as we await Jesus' return. Very similar in that all too often evil seems to triumph over good. The worship of God in many places is dwindling. Despite advances, life is more difficult for many. God seems to be exceedingly slow. So much so that people say it's crazy to expect Jesus to return. There is no reason to put hope in him. The similarities between the first century and today are very strong. Yet we live in a very different time because we know that God has come to redeem his people. The servant served with his life and death. Furthermore, Jesus rose from the grave and has given us his spirit, the spirit of hope. Like the hopeful people in the past, we need to place our hope in God. Uh, Not in things, not in our strength, not in circumstances, not in any other person, but in God. As we look back to the events of the first century, our hope should be propelled forward. Each Christmas, as we look back to the manger and to the cross, Our hope of a better future should be confirmed.
each day as we come to our Lord and look back at what he's done for us, our hope for the future should be enhanced. And of course, all of this is sheer grace. Sheer grace. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He writes, Your hope in life and death, your hope in life and death, is never to be found in the degree of your love for God. It is only ever found in the magnitude of his love for you. This love and therefore this hope is yours as a gift of grace. Even on those days when your heart has run after other lovers, that's just how beautiful and faithful his love for you really is. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and within, with him is full redemption.